Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again today. Thank you so much for everybody who took part in our big vision day last week. Uh, that was so much fun. It was a giant party. We had an amazing chili cook-off. We had a great time with all the kids, bouncy houses, and amazing bands. Uh, it was just a nice gathering all around. Uh, and I appreciate you being there so that we could talk about uh, all the thanksgiving we have for all the things God's done in our church over the last five years. And again, just telling that story out loud again. It's just amazing to see where we've been and what God has brought us through. Uh, and again, looking at the coming, even just the coming six months are incredible as we uh, reopen the ministries of the church, as we reach out to groups uh, we've, uh, we've never known before, as we start new ministries that, that are new to us uh, and that will bless you and everybody you invite. Uh, I'm just really thankful for all uh, that you have been as a congregation and all that God has planned for us. So. Uh, thank you to everybody who helped out last week, who volunteered, who made it happen, who set up and cleaned up and cooked, and all those great things. Let's, uh, let's take a minute and pray together, and we'll get into our study today. Father, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that you do have vision for us, that you call us into a future that matters, a future that counts. Now help us, in the peace of our hearts, concentrate on your word. Help us to listen to the movements of your spirit. Turn out the distractions and the anxieties of the world and give us peace. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, we are now in a series of teachings called 2020 Hindsight because we're looking back at all the things that God has taught us through this great time of turbulence in our uh, world and in our history. And we're looking at how Christians pursue truth in a confusing world, in turbulent times. And so uh, last week we talked about grounding ourselves in Jesus. Jesus is the heart and the foundation of all truth and the way we live our, our lives. He is the way and the truth and the life, we said. Uh, today I want to continue in that series of studies uh, and look about what we do in the midst of our pursuit of truth when not everyone sees everything the same way, in case you know any situations like that. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 14, which is the conscience chapter. It's the chapter in which the Apostle Paul talks about keeping a pure conscience and honoring the people around you as you pursue uh, truth. Uh, the context in the first century world, and we've talked about this here at Real Life before, uh, it may sound strange to modern ears, but this was a cutting-edge social issue of the day. The, the context was a debate about eating meat that had been offered to idols. So again, if you haven't heard this before, if you're new to us today, the, uh, in the first century world, the Greeks and the Romans would go to the temples of their various gods, Zeus and Hermes and Aphrodite, and offer meat to them. And it would be offered as a sacrifice. But then the meat could be sold in the marketplace for people to buy and eat. But if you bought meat that had been offered to Zeus, it carried the implication that you believed in Zeus, that you worshipped Zeus. 
So devout first century Jews would not eat meat offered to idols. Now the Apostle Paul has come to town preaching a freedom that they found in Jesus. A freedom from the works of the law. And Paul says, therefore, you can eat what you want to. We're no longer bound by those ceremonial dietary laws. You can eat what you want to, but make sure you keep a clean conscience and make sure you pay attention to how the things you do affect those around you. So he's, he's speaking into that context where people are debating this big issue. Uh, and uh, we're looking at uh, Romans chapter 14. Uh, he, ex- he says, Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. That is the verse for 2020. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. We're only on verse 1. Anybody already need to confess? Okay, Uh, here we go. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Person whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, This isn't about health or diet. This is actually about a first century dispute and somebody who chose to abstain from eating meat offered to idols. Uh, That that person... uh, uh, May, may have dietary restrictions put on them by their own conscience. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. The one who is confident about vaccines must not treat with contempt the one who is worried about them. And the one who is worried about vaccines must not treat with contempt the one who is confident about them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? The one who prefers to wear masks must not treat with contempt the one who does not prefer to wear them. And the one who does not prefer to wear them must not treat with contempt the one who prefers to wear them. You who vote Republican must not treat with contempt the one who votes Democrat. And you who vote Democrat must not treat with contempt the one who votes Republican. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Anybody need to confess now? This is what the Bible says to us. I'm not prescribing public policy. I'm talking about common courtesy. I'm talking about the way we treat each other and the way we've treated each other over the last year. Who are you to judge someone else's servant, the Bible says to us. Let that sink in. You who eat only vegetables must not treat with contempt the one who eats bacon, Paul would say. And you who eat bacon must not treat with contempt those whose faith is weak, Romans 14.2. That was one too many. That's an, I'm done with the vegetarian thing. Um, this, is, this is Paul's burden on the first century church when you disagree on matters of truth important matters of truth matters that are close to your heart do not let that pursuit of truth cause you to sacrifice the love and respect that is due to God's children if God loves someone and wants to redeem them how are you helping with that if you treat them with contempt who are you to judge someone else's servant the Bible will say to us Now, there are three consecutive steps that Paul is going to lay out to us to living a happy, healthy life, to living the kind of life that God wants for us. 
And he's going to lay them out in order here. We're going to look at each of the three. Here's the first one. One person considers one day more sacred than another, and another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. He's talking about the Jewish holidays here. Some of them were still keeping the Jewish holidays after they had become Christians, and some of them said, now that I'm a Christian, I don't have to keep the Jewish holidays. And that was actually another hot debate of the day. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether you live or die, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. The first of the three steps to the happy and healthy life that the scriptures want for us, that Jesus wants for us, is to put Jesus first. Live for the Lord first. Before all else, pay attention to how you honor God. If your conscience tells you that eating meat is an honor to God, then go do it. And if your conscience tells you that eating vegetables is an honor to God, go do it. Put Jesus first. Jesus isn't going to evaluate you on whether or not you picked the right gift. He's going to, uh, he's going to assess the heart that gives it to him. Um, it's like something that uh, I heard from a friend of mine recently who's a pastor on the East Coast. Uh, and he said something kind of quirky had happened in the life of his congregation. Uh, his church does like ours, and there's uh, in our Sanctuary at Valley Center, there's an offering box in the lobby for people who don't do digital giving. And in our chapel, there's a box on the wall. And his church does the same thing. During the pandemic, they stopped passing offering plates down the rows. And now they have a box in their lobby. Well, uh, one day, the, uh, the people who count the offering went and opened up the box. And inside the box, on top of a pile of offering envelopes and checks, was a donut. Someone had put a donut in the offering box, squished it through the little hole on the top. And his first reaction was, well, maybe they thought it was kind of a strangely shaped trash can or something. I don't know, whatever. Dumb parishioners, whatever. So they clean it up. That's fine. Next week rolls around. The offering counters go in. They open the box. And there's another donut that's been squished through the hole into the box. And it was covered in chocolate icing. And it was a hot day. And now my friend, this pastor, gets a little irked. And he thinks, you know who this is? This is, this is one of those teenagers in the youth group. And they think this is funny. And they're making more work for people. And I'm going to find them. And so the following week, he had one of his associate pastors preaching. And he hung out in the lobby. And he kept an eye on the offering box. And he didn't stand too close because he wanted to catch the culprit. And so he stood there in the lobby, and right as church let out, people began to mill out into the lobby, and people were standing around and chit-chatting. And a tiny little girl, maybe five or six years old, went over to the offering box with a donut in her hand. And she pulled up a little stool to it, and she shoved her donut into the offering box. At this point, he realized she probably wasn't doing it maliciously. There was probably some other intention here. So he walked up to her as she was finishing the job and said to her, Honey, what you doing? And she said, I'm giving Jesus a donut. <laughs> At that point, her mom comes running over and goes, Oh no, she didn't do it again, did she? My friend said, it's, it's fine. And I'm sure that Jesus appreciates the donut. And I bet he did too. So if you look back over the last year, and you're concerned about whether or not you've done things right, don't beat yourself up. 
Jesus isn't going to evaluate whether or not we got the gifts right. He wants a heart of love that offers it to him. As we live our lives in this world, honor Jesus first. With all your heart as best you know how. Put Jesus first and give him what you think he wants as best you know how. That's the first thing that Paul will lay out for us. And here's the second thing. We're in verse 9 now. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Here it is. This is number two. Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. As it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. You can eat what you want to. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it's unclean. So if somebody's following their conscience, they're doing right. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. So, so look at this. Don't judge them and don't throw them off. Don't create an obstacle for them. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. They're Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. First, honor Jesus above all else. Second, pay attention to the needs of your brother or sister before yourself. Don't judge them for following their conscience. And don't create obstacles for them. Don't throw them uh, uh, astray by what you do. Um, I'll show you how Jesus, in his own ministry, in his own life, brought together people and taught them how to honor one another. This is something that's hidden in the gospel text that you might not have ever seen before. In the calling of the disciples, Jesus chose people from a number of different trades. He chose fishermen, he chose tax collectors, probably some other professions and trades. But in particular, there are two guys whose jobs are of note, whose roles in society are of note. First, he called Matthew. And you may know the story, Matthew was a tax collector. And the tax collectors were seen by the Jewish people as traitors. Because they went to work for Rome, the empire that had conquered Israel, had conquered Judea, and was taking taxes away from the Jewish people. And so the, the Jewish tax collector was taking money from his own people to give it to the enemy that the Jewish people wanted to get rid of. On top of that, the tax collectors skimmed a little off the top for themselves. John the Baptist, the uh, cousin of Jesus and a preacher himself, would say to the tax collectors, don't take any more than you have to. Don't take any more than you should because they, were in the, they, ha they had a reputation for taking money away from their own people and keeping it for themselves. A tax collector could become more and more rich and more and more despised. That was Matthew. Secondly, Jesus called a guy named Simon. I don't mean Simon Peter. There's another Simon in the 12. Simon the Zealot, he's referred to. And Zealot is not an adjective. Zealot is a category. The great Jewish historian Josephus 
said that the Zealots were basically the fourth political party of the day. You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. The Zealots believed that revolution should be brought about to throw out Rome, to get rid of the Romans. And if it has to come about by violence, it does. In fact, there was a, uh, one group of the Zealots known as the Sicarii, which comes from the Greek word for dagger. They were known as the dagger men, the one who carried knives. And the Sicarii were known for blending in among crowds and noisy and loud places and pulling out a knife secretly and stabbing Roman sympathizers like tax collectors and then slipping back off into the crowd before anyone realized somebody had died. Jesus called Matthew and Jesus called Simon. Jesus called the tax collector and the one who belonged to the group that was known for despising and even killing tax collectors. Imagine discipleship training day number one. All right, boys, let's get together. I'm going to introduce everybody. Peter, this is John. James, this is Andrew. Simon, this is Matthew. Matthew, this is Simon. Let's go around and share any concerns we might have. I suspect Matthew didn't sleep too well for the first couple weeks they traveled together. And the, the, the Gospels record all of these conflicts that happen between the disciples. Paul at one point calls out Peter. James and John try to upstage the other disciples. John makes fun of Peter at one point. Thomas casts dispersions on what the disciples want to do. They're in conflicts all the time. They fight over what Jesus said to them. There's no record of Simon and Matthew ever getting in a conflict with one another. Because Jesus calls the tax collector and the one who despises the tax collector and says to both of them, come follow me. I suspect were Jesus to walk around in our world today, he would call the rioter from Portland, Oregon and the police officer from Mobile, Alabama, whose hearts had turned to him and say to both of them, come follow me. And he would put them on the same team. Now, there's something going on uh, right now in American churches. Uh, and I want you to pay attention to this because um, I think it's slipping past some people that this is happening. There are churches that are offering people uh, a safe haven. If you come over here, we're only tax collectors. If you come to our church, we're only zealots. At our church, we only vote this way. And if you join us, you'll be safe from everybody else out there, and our team will win. Come and hide out with us. Form a circle of wagons. There are pastors out there who are capitalizing on people's fear and anger. And pastors who capitalize on people's fear and anger are bad shepherds. Jesus calls you. And Jesus is the one who calls the tax collector and the zealot and puts them on the same team. If you're going to follow after Jesus, honor others above yourself. Don't judge them, and don't put things in their way of following him. So number one, honor Jesus first above all else. Number two, honor others above yourself. And number three, do what's right for you. You're third, right? Jesus, others, you. J-O-Y. This is the keys to a joyful life in him. You get these things in the right order. Put Jesus first. Honor him, give him the gifts that you think he wants. He cares more about your heart than you getting the gift right. Secondly, honor others. Don't judge others. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? And don't distract them from their following of Jesus. And third, do things right on your own terms, the things that are right for you. Paul will go on, verse 19. 
Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Right? Put others before yourself. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is a sin. Obey others, obey Jesus, honor others, and then do what's right by your own conscience. Follow your own guidelines third. I haven't offered any public policy, and I don't mean to. Because I don't think Jesus is after public policy first. I think what Jesus is doing is changing the world in a very different way than most of us want to and try to. Uh, and that was captured for me in an image uh, I was reminded of recently. Um, you may have seen this image floating around in our society because it pops up on pastors' t-shirts and elsewhere. This is called the Great Wave off Kanagawa. And it was uh, one of the most iconographic of Japanese artworks. Uh, it was created by uh, an artist named Hokusai. And it's not only his most famous work of art, it is pretty much the most famous work of art in uh, Japanese culture. It's the most recognized. It was uh, made in, I think, 1830, in the early 19th century, and it was about 50 years before Vincent van Gogh painted The Starry Night. And there are similarities between the two. What interests me about this, uh, this image that he captured was not just the image itself, but the way it was reproduced in the early days. This is how they used to do artwork. The artist would sketch out the drawing, the illustration that they wanted, and then they would take it to a carver. And the carver would lay the illustration on a thin parchment over a block of wood and then take out a hammer and chisels and begin to carve the illustration into the block of wood. When it was all done, when the, when the painting had been translated into a wood block, it was turned upside down and dipped in ink so that it could be pressed on paper or canvas or cloth over and over and over again. This original block that was used for this particular illustration was probably used about 5,000 times before it just wore out. Well, this is how Jesus goes about transforming our world. Jesus wants to take our hearts of stone and lay the gospel of his love and grace on top of it. And then take sharp tools and begin to carve into our hardened hearts an image of his love. You are created in the image of God. And that artist wants to take tools and restore his creation in you. He wants to take the image of himself, the image of who he was and how he lived and how he loved, and lay that over your life and restore in you that image so that you look more and more like him. He then takes that image of himself in you and dips it in red ink, the color of his blood, and sends you out into the world to reproduce it over and over and 
over again. Thousands of times. I tell you, you just can't do it anymore. Jesus wants to take our hardened hearts, our wooden hearts, and carve the gospel of his love into us. Hearts that have been healed, sent out to spread a message of healing in a world that is broken. Hearts committed to the truth, sent out in a world that is filled with skepticism because one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus wants to carve hearts of forgiveness into us, to send us out into a world to forgive those who have actually done us wrong. Jesus wants to carve grace, to send us out into a world to behave graciously, even though the world doesn't deserve it. That is the public policy of the gospel. Put Jesus first above all else. Put the needs of others before your own. And keep your conscience clean. That's how to live a joyful life. A healthy and happy life. The kind of life that God wants for us. We don't need a public policy to pass after that. If you do that, that is a life lived in power. A life that reproduces the gospel of Jesus throughout the world. Let's do it. God bless you. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that you died for us, that because of your death, we can be freed from sin and brokenness, from hatred and self-righteousness. God, send us out in the world to make your name known, to reveal our own hearts, which by our own efforts were nothing but hardened and broken, and teach us to show to the world how you've changed us how you've set us free. Let us love in Jesus' name that his name might be known. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.